Chapter twenty six of Ormond by Maria Edgeworth. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bruce Peary. Though Sir Ulic O'Shane contrived to laugh on most occasions where other people would have wept, and though he had pretty well case hardened his heart, yet he was shocked by the first news of the death of Sir Herbert Annally he knew the man must die he said so must we all sooner or later but for the manner of his death sir ulic could not help feeling a secret pang he felt conscious of having encouraged or at least connived at the practices of those wretches who had roused the generous and just indignation of sir herbert and in pursuit of whom this fine young man had fallen a sacrifice not only the still small voice but the cry of the country was against sir ulic on this occasion he saw that he must give up the offenders and show decidedly that he desired to have them punished decidedly then and easily as ever prince abandoned secretary or chancellor to save his own popularity quickly as ever grand seignior gave up grand vizier or chief baker to appease the people sir ulic gave up his honest rascals his rare rapparees and even his wrecker royal sir ulic set his magistrate mr mccruel at work for once on the side both of justice and law warrants committals and constables cleared the land many fled a few were seized escorted ostentatiously by a sergeant and twelve of sir ulic's corps and lodged in the county jail to stand their trial bereft of all favour and protection bona fide delivered up to justice a considerable tract of sir ulic's coast estate in consequence of this remained untenanted some person in whom he could confide must be selected to inhabit the fishing lodge and to take care of the cabins and land till they should be relet sir ulic pitched upon moriarty carroll for this purpose and promised him such liberal reward that all moriarty's friends congratulated him upon his great luck in getting the appointment against the man too that mr marcus had proposed and favoured marcus who was jealous in the extreme of power and who made every trifle a matter of party competition was vexed at the preference given against an honest man and a friend of his own in favour of moriarty a catholic a fellow he had always disliked and a protege of mr ormond ormond though obliged to sir ulic for this kindness to moriarty was too intent on other things to think much about the matter when he should see florence annally again seemed to him the only question in the universe of great importance just at this time arrived letters for mr ormond from paris from monsieur and madame de connell very kind letters with pressing invitations to him to pay them a visit monsieur de connell informed him that the five hundred pounds king corney's legacy was ready awaiting his orders monsieur de connell hoped to put it into mr ormond's hands in paris in his own hotel where he trusted that mr ormond would do him the pleasure of soon occupying the apartments which were preparing for him it did not clearly appear whether they had or had not heard of his accession of fortune 
dora's letter was not from dora it was from madame de conlow it was on green paper with a border of cupids and roses and store of sentimental devices in the corners the turn of every phrase the style as far as ormond could judge was quite french aiming evidently at being perfectly parisian yet it was a letter so flattering to the vanity of man as might well incline him to excuse the vanity of woman besides as sir ulic o'shane observed after making due deductions for french sentiment there remains enough to satisfy an honest english heart that the lady really desires to see you ormond and that now in the midst of her parisian prosperity she has the grace to wish to show kindness to her father's adopted son and to the companion and friend of her childhood sir ulic was of opinion that ormond could not do better than accept the invitation ormond was surprised for he well recollected the manner in which his guardian had formerly and not many months ago written and spoken of connel as a coxcomb and something worse that is true said sir ulic but that was when i was angry about your legacy which was of great consequence to us then though of none now i certainly did suspect the man of a design to cheat you but it is clear that i was wrong i am ready candidly to acknowledge that i did him injustice your money is at your order and i have nothing to say but to beg monsieur de conall ten thousand french pardons observe i do not beg pardon for calling him a coxcomb for a coxcomb he certainly is an insufferable coxcomb cried ormond but a coxcomb in fashion said sir ulic and a coxcomb in fashion is a useful connection he did not fable about versailles i have made particular inquiries from our ambassador at paris and he writes me word that connel is often at court en bonne odeur at versailles the ambassador says he meets the connels everywhere in the first circles how they came there i don't know i am glad to hear that for dora's sake said ormond i always thought her a sweet pretty little creature said sir ulic and no doubt she has been polished up and dress and fashion make such a difference in a woman i suppose she is now ten times better that is prettier she will introduce you at paris and your own merit that is manners and figure and fortune will make your way everywhere by the by i do not see a word about poor mademoiselle oh yes here is a line squeezed in at the edge mille tendres souvenirs de la part de mademoiselle ophélie poor mademoiselle poor mademoiselle repeated sir ulic do you mean that thing half irish half french half mud half tinsel said ormond very good memory very sly harry but still in the irish half of her i dare say there is a heart and we must allow her the tinsel in pure gratitude for having taught you to speak french so well that will be a real advantage to you in paris whenever i go there sir said ormond coldly 
sir ulic was very much disappointed at perceiving that ormond had no mind to go to paris but dropping the subject he turned the conversation upon the annales he praised florence to the skies hoped that ormond would be more fortunate than marcus had been for somehow or other he should never live or die in peace till florence annally was more nearly connected with him he regretted however that poor sir herbert was carried off before he had completed the levying of those fines which would have cut off the entail and barred the heir at law from the herbert estates florence was not now the great heiress it was once expected she should be indeed she had but a moderate gentlewoman's fortune not even what at smithfield a man of ormond's fortune might expect but sir ulic knew he said that this would make no difference to his ward unless to make him in greater impatience to propose for her it was impossible to be in greater impatience to propose for her than ormond was sir ulic did not wonder at it but he thought that miss annally would not could not listen to him yet time the comforter must come first and while time was doing this business love could not decently be admitted that was the reason said sir ulic returning by another road to the charge why i advised a trip to paris but you know best i cannot bear this suspense i must and will know my fate i will write instantly and obtain an answer do so and to save time i can tell what your fate and your answer will be from florence annally assurance of perfect esteem and regard as far as friendship perhaps but she will tell you that she cannot think of love at present lady annally prudent lady annally will say that she hopes mr ormond will not think of settling for life till he has seen something more of the world well you don't believe me said sir ulic interrupting himself just at the moment when he saw that ormond began to think there was some sense in what he was saying if you don't believe me harry continued he consult your oracle dr cambray he has just returned from annally and he can tell you how the land lies dr cambray agreed with sir ulic that both lady annally and her daughter would desire that ormond should see more of the world before he settled for life but as to going off to paris without waiting to see or write to them dr cambray agreed with ormond that it would be the worst thing he could do that so far from appearing a proof of his respect to their grief it would only seem a proof of indifference or a sign of impatience they would conclude that he was in haste to leave his friends in adversity to go to those in prosperity and to enjoy the gaiety and dissipation of paris dr cambray advised that he should remain quietly where he was and wait till miss annally should be disposed to see him this was most prudent ormond allowed but then the delay to conquer by delay we must begin by conquering our impatience now that was what our hero could not possibly do therefore he jumped hastily to this conclusion that in love affairs no man should follow any mortal's opinion but his own 
accordingly he sat down and wrote to miss annalee a most passionate letter enclosed in a most dutiful one to lady annalee as full of respectful attachment and entire obedience as a son-in-law expectant could devise beginning very properly and very sincerely with anxiety and hopes about her ladyship's health and ending as properly and as sincerely with hopes that her ladyship would permit him as soon as possible to take from her the greatest the only remaining source of happiness she had in life her daughter having worded this very plausibly for he had now learned how to write a letter our hero dispatched a servant of sir ulic's with his epistle ordering him to wait certainly for an answer but above all things to make haste back accordingly the man took a cross-road a short-cut and coming to a bridge which he did not know was broken down till he was close upon it he was obliged to return and to go round and did not get home till long after dark and the only answer he brought was that there was no answer only lady annalee's compliments ormond could scarcely believe that no answer had been sent but the man took all the saints in heaven or in the calendar to witness that he would not tell his honour or any gentleman a lie upon a cross-examination the man gave proof that he had actually seen both the ladies they were sitting so-and-so and dressed so-and-so in mourning farther he gave undeniable proof that he had delivered the letters and that they had been opened and read for by the same token he was summoned up to my lady on account of one of mr ormond's letters he did not know which or to who being dated monday whereas it was wednesday and he had to clear himself of having been three days on the road ormond inordinately impatient could not rest a moment the next morning he set off at full speed for annalee determined to find out what was the matter arrived there a new footman came to the door with not at home sir ormond could have knocked him down but he contented himself with striking his own forehead however in a genteel proper voice he desired to see sir herbert's own man o'reilly mr o'reilly is not here sir absent on business everything was adverse ormond had one hope that this new fellow not knowing him might by mistake have included him in a general order against morning visitors my name is ormond sir yes sir and i beg you will let lady annalee and miss annalee know that mr ormond is come to pay his respects to them the man seemed very unwilling to carry any message to his ladies he was sure he said that the ladies would not see anybody was lady annalee ill her ladyship had been but poorly but was better within the last two days and miss annalee wonderful better too sir has got up her spirits greatly to-day i am very glad to hear it said ormond pray sir can you tell me whether a servant from mr ormond brought a letter here yesterday he did sir and was there any answer sent 
i really can't say sir be so good to take my name to your lady repeated ormond indeed sir i don't like to go in for i know my lady both my ladies is engaged very particularly engaged however if you very positively desire it sir ormond did very positively desire it and the footman obeyed while ormond was waiting impatiently for the answer his horse as impatient as himself would not stand still a groom who was sauntering about saw the uneasiness of the horse and observing that it was occasioned by a peacock who with spread tail was strutting in the sunshine he ran and chased the bird away ormond thanked the groom and threw him a luck token but not recollecting his face asked how long he had been at annerley i think you were not here when i was here last said ormond no sir said the man looking a little puzzled i never was here till the day before yesterday in my born days we bees from england we that is i and master that is master and i ormond grew pale but the groom saw nothing of it his eyes had fixed upon ormond's horse a very fine horse this of yours sir for sartain if he could but stand sir he's main restless at a door my master's horse is just his match for that and pray who is your master sir said ormond in a voice which he forced to be calm my master sir is one colonel albemarle son of the famous general albemarle as lost his arm sir you might have heard talk of time back said the groom at this moment a window-blind was flapped aside and before the wind blew it back to its place again ormond saw florence annerley sitting on a sofa and a gentleman in regimentals kneeling at her feet bless my eyes cried the groom what made you let go his bridle sir only you sat him well sir he would have thrown you that minute curse the blind that flapped in his eyes the footman reappeared on the steps sir it is just as i said i could not be let in mrs spencer my lady's woman says the ladies is engaged you can't see them ormond had seen enough very well sir said he mr ormond's compliments he called that's all ormond put spurs to his horse and galloped off and fast as he went he urged his horse still faster in the agony of disappointed love and jealousy he railed bitterly against the whole sex and against florence annerley in particular many were the rash vows he made that he would never think of her more that he would tear her from his heart that he would show her that he was no whining lover no easy dupe to be whiffled off and on the sport of a coquette a coquette is it possible florence annerley you and after all certain tender recollections obtruded but he repelled them he would not allow one of them to mitigate his rage his naturally violent passion of anger now that it broke again from the control of his reason seemed the more ungovernable from the sense of past and the dread of future restraint 
so when a horse naturally violent and half trained to the curb takes fright or takes offence and starting throws his master away he gallops enraged the more by the falling bridle he rears plunges curvets and lashes out behind at broken girth or imaginary pursuer good heavens what is the matter with you my dear boy what has happened cried sir ulic the moment he saw him for the disorder of ormond's mind appeared strongly in his face and gestures still more strongly in his words when he attempted to give an account of what had happened it was so broken so exclamatory that it was wonderful how sir ulic made out the plain fact sir ulic however well understood the shorthand language of the passions he listened with eager interest he sympathized so fully with ormond's feelings expressed such astonishment such indignation that harry feeling him to be his warm friend loved him as heartily as in the days of his childhood sir ulic saw and seized the advantage he had almost despaired of accomplishing his purpose now was the critical instant harry ormond said he would you make florence annalee feel to the quick would you make her repent in sackcloth and ashes would you make her pine for you ay till her very heart is sick would i to be sure show me how only show me how cried ormond look ye harry to have and to hold a woman trust me for i have had and held many to have and to hold a woman you must first show her that you can if you will fling her from you ay and leave her there set off for paris to-morrow morning my life upon it the moment she hears you are gone she will wish you back again i'll set off to-night said ormond ringing the bell to give orders to his servant to prepare immediately for his departure thus sir ulic seizing precisely the moment when ormond's mind was at the right heat aiming with dexterity and striking with force bent and moulded him to his purpose while preparations for ormond's journey were making sir ulic said that there was one thing he must insist upon his doing before he quitted castle hermitage he must look over and settle his guardianship accounts ormond whose head was far from business at this moment was very reluctant he said that the accounts could wait till he should return from france but sir ulic observed that if he or if ormond were to die leaving the thing unsettled it would be loss of property to the one and loss of credit to the other ormond then begged that the accounts might be sent after him to paris he would look over them there at leisure and sign them no sir ulic said they ought to be signed by some forthcoming witness in this country he urged it so much and put it upon the footing of his own credit and honour in such a manner that ormond could not refuse he seized the papers and took a pen to sign them but sir ulic snatched the pen from his hand and absolutely insisted upon his first knowing what he was going to sign the whole account could have been looked over while we have been talking about it said sir ulic 
ormond sat down and looked it over examined all the vouchers saw that everything was perfectly right and fair signed the accounts and esteemed sir ulic the more for having insisted upon showing and proving that all was exact sir ulic offered to manage his affairs for him while he was away particularly a large sum which ormond had in the english funds sir ulic had a banker and a broker in london on whom he could depend and he had from his place and connections means of obtaining good information in public affairs he had made a great deal himself by speculations in the funds and he could buy in and sell out to great advantage he said for ormond but for this purpose a power of attorney was necessary to be given by ormond to sir ulic there was scarcely time to draw one up nor was sir ulic sure that there was a printed form in the house luckily however a proper power was found and filled up and ormond had just time to sign it before he stepped into the carriage he embraced his guardian and thanked him heartily for his care of the interests of his purse and still more for the sympathy he had shown in the interests of his heart sir ulic was moved at parting with him and this struck harry the more because he certainly struggled to suppress his feelings ormond stopped at vickersdale to tell dr cambray all that had happened to thank him and his family for their kindness and to take leave of them they were indeed astonished when he entered saying any commands my good friends for london or paris i am on my way there carriage at the door at first they could not believe him to be serious but when they heard his story and saw by the agitation of his manner that he was in earnest they were still more surprised at the suddenness of his determination they all believed and represented to him that there must be some mistake and that he was not cool enough to judge sanely at this moment dr cambray observed that miss annalee could not prevent any man from kneeling to her ormond haughtily said he did not know what she could prevent he only knew what she did she had not vouchsafed an answer to his letter she had not admitted him these he thought were sufficient indications that the person at her feet was accepted whether he were or not ormond would inquire no further she might now accept or refuse as she pleased he would go to paris his friends had nothing more to say or to do but to sigh and to wish him a good journey and much pleasure at paris ormond now requested that dr cambray would have the goodness to write to him from time to time to inform him of whatever he might wish to know during his absence he was much mortified to hear from the doctor that he was obliged to proceed with his family for some months to a distant part of the north of england and that as to the annalies they were immediately removing to the sea-coast of devonshire for the benefit of a mild climate and of sea-bathing ormond therefore had no resource but in his guardian sir ulic's affairs however were to take him over to london from whence ormond could not expect much satisfactory intelligence with respect to ireland 
ormond flew to dublin crossed the channel in an express boat travelled night and day in the mail to london from thence to dover crossed the water in a storm and travelled with the utmost expedition to paris though there was no one reason why he should be in haste and for so much his travelling was as little profitable or amusing as possible he saw heard and understood nothing till he reached paris it has been said that the traveller without sensibility may travel from dan to beersheba without finding anything worth seeing the traveller who has too much sensibility often observes as little of this all persons must be sensible who have ever travelled when their minds were engrossed with painful feelings or possessed by any strong passion End of chapter 26